This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Well, it didn't end the way we wanted it to, but I think that was a pretty good weekend. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, tough, well, let's see, well, tough week, better weekend. Is that the right way to put it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, here we are recording our podcast now on a Tuesday, and, uh, well, we saw the Ducks lost basically to both eventual winners in the uh, NCAA tournament championship. Yeah. Hey, did you have more fun watching the ladies beat the hell out of each other Friday and Sunday than you did watching what the heck we watched last night? You know, I don't know. I, I thought it was all, I mean, it, it's all entertaining. You know, you get, obviously, you, you're at that point. Uh, to be honest, I didn't give Texas Tech much of a chance last night going into the game. I just didn't. I didn't think they were going to get it done. Uh-huh. And then they went out there and played some, you know, pretty good basketball. Really, for them to, you know, be able to be in a position to beat Virginia. Virginia probably should have beat Virginia, all things considered. There at the end, but uh, I mean, Virginia is just that freaking gritty team, dude. It's like the you know gum on the bottom of your shoe. You can't get rid of them. It's like. What, do you, what does it take to beat Virginia? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I had a lot of fun watching both of them. I thought the men's game was entertaining. Women's game was a, was a heck of a game. It, it certainly looked like Baylor was done with that game after the first quarter. Yeah. And then, uh, and then of course, that wasn't the case. What, what stood out to me, I think about the interview that Kim Mulkey, Baylor's coach, had with uh, the sideline reporter there, um, like late third quarter. She's asked about Oregon hitting threes and Oregon making clutch shots and how do you adjust defensively, and she just kind of brushed it off like, eh, we're just going to play our way, and eventually we'll shut them off and the shots won't fall. And unfortunately for the Ducks, four minutes left, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I just, I do, I know, you know, I've read the comments and I, you know, I've seen it on Twitter, you know, like many Oregon fans, you're sitting there going, man, that was you know, one of the worst stretches of basketball Oregon women have played in a long time. They were with Baylor, probably should have beat Baylor. I mean, they had them on the ropes and just, you know, you sit there watching that and, and, uh, I mean, you can't help but feel like that championship was there for Oregon. Uh, if they just kind of closed out that game a little bit, which I mean, I mean, that's part of the game. That's the way it goes. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you really have to just feel like, man, they, 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 they had Baylor, they had the chance you know, they beat Baylor. They're, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they beat Notre Dame. Maybe they don't, but it certainly seems like they could have. I think that's the beautiful thing. The Ducks can make that statement. They can say, if we found offense in those final four minutes, we beat Baylor and we crush Notre Dame in the national title. Yeah. Baylor can obviously say that they deserved and won a national title. Right. And then Notre Dame can say, if the best shooting guard in her conference and one of the most cold-blooded shooters in the world makes two free throws at the end, yeah. they win a national title. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's how close it is. I guess that tells you how close Oregon is. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we peel away. Yeah. Because I mean, we're talking about UConn, Baylor, Notre Dame, the elite programs 
traditionally elite programs in college basketball. They're in that conversation now. Yeah. Well, certainly with uh, with Sabrina coming back, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. We've got a great guest prepared for you in just a couple of minutes. Uh, can we can we say that now? Yeah, no, it's time. I mean, oh he's gosh. he's we got he's he's on he's got a small window, and we want to take advantage. So I feel I feel fortunate, you know, for those of you that followed on Twitter, uh, you know, I started tweeting at Shea Serrano to try and get him on, and uh, you know, like many of you, I just want to ask him about being a Duck fan. I don't, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, how does it happen? Yeah, like the dude is. I say this: I'm a diehard Shea Serrano fan. I've been reading him since he was at the Ringer back in the day. Rap yearbook is on my coffee table at home. I love that dude. But how does the social media king of Mexicans and and the dude from San Antonio posting pictures of barbacoa on Twitter every week, how does that guy become a Duck fan? Yeah, I mean, it just it makes no sense other than uh, I don't I don't know. Here's one thing I'll circle back to the power of branding. I mean, Oregon does such a tremendous job of branding. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if maybe he watched Sabrina play one time and thought, man, this yeah, we're about to find out because it's it's a question we're going to ask him. Right. You know, we are going to find out and uh, just get to know him. I mean, he's he's a lot of fun to watch. Now, what I do want to say is this. If you don't if you're not a Twitter person or whatever, you don't follow me on Twitter, you don't follow Shay on Twitter or whatever. You know, he has he he. So for those of you that don't know us, Mexican Americans, we uh, we tend to be a little hot blooded. We're willing to let it fly on Twitter sometimes. He's got colorful language. He's got colorful saying. language, and I'm not I'm not going to censor him. So I mean, like, if you're <laughs> listening to this now, and you're listening to it in the car with the kids, or if you're listening to it at work, and your little coworkers next to you, and like, you know, gets offended easily at cursing, this is probably a segment you shouldn't listen to in those cases. If 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 you're comfortable with some cursing. Um, you know, and, and, and some colorful language, then, you know, th- I guess buckle up because we'll probably get some. Again, I'm not going to tell Shay that he can't cuss or he's going to come on and I want him to be himself. I think that's yeah. I think that's an important part. I think letting him be himself, talk the way he normally talks. Um, you know, he's obviously uh, widely followed and, and, and heavily respected for a reason. So I'm not looking for him to censor anything on my podcast. So just knowing that as we're about to bring him on. You know, this might be a, a section where you need to be careful about where you're listening to it. That's a really strong disclaimer. I just want to throw this out there as a teaser for anybody. We've had Mario Cristobal. We've had Mike Bellotti. Achilles Smith was awesome. We've had some great guests on this pod. This might be my favorite. This, I am I am over the moon. I am yeah. so excited for Shea Serrano. Okay, well, we only got about 25 minutes, so I guess we better get it popping with him. All right. Football coming up later, by the way. Want to talk football, get a recap of uh, that big spring practice in Hillsboro, look ahead to the spring game, and then spring sports as well. Baseball, softball, got a lot going on this week. But Shea Serrano. This is absolutely amazing to me. I mean, we got Shea Serrano on the pod. There's so many questions I could ask, so much that I could dive into, because I really am a fan. Been reading this guy since he was at Grantland back in the day. But let's keep it duck-centric, Shay. Just how did this start? You're, you're a guy from Texas. You, you write about food, and you write about football, and you write about the NBA, and then you end up being the biggest duck fan on the planet. How'd that happen? <laughs> I don't know that I, I don't I don't know that I'm the biggest duck fan on the planet. I think there are some people who have been there longer and done more work. When I, I went to I went out to um, to Eugene to go watch a game this year. It was the first time I'd been out there. And after the game, they sort of let you just wander around and meet the players. It was really cool. And I met these three 
older women who were somewhere from the south. I don't remember exactly where, like Louisiana or something like that. These three women, and they were we were talking about the ducks, and they were telling me how they they like fly in or have delivered to them from Louisiana crawfish for when they do their crawfish boils because it doesn't taste the same up there. Something about the water is different. Anyway, those three women were probably the were probably much bigger fans than I am, but I have <laughs> but I have been excited to like join in and be a part of this this mob that y'all seem to be building out there yeah if, if there's one thing uh you know matt and i've talked about before it's the uh it's the branding that oregon does as a university obviously that's incorporated oregon's women oregon women's basketball this year uh as well so uh it's funny that you mentioned up the mentioned the mud bugs because i've got a crawfish party coming up in a couple of weeks and uh, at that point, my, my friend's flying them in fresh from Louisiana because, once again, they don't even <laughs> remotely taste the same. Uh, but you got to get a permit for them and everything. It's pretty crazy. So, uh, yeah, but, that's, what they, that's, what they were, uh, that's what they were telling me. The way this all started, though, was I saw a clip before the tournament started. Like a, I don't remember exactly when, maybe January, February. It was a clip of Ina Ayuso, and she had crossed the player over, and the player fell down. And I thought, in fact, that's one of my favorite things. I thought it was hilarious. Okay. So I, I retweeted it and made a little joke about it. I don't remember exactly what I said. Probably something like, where can I buy Ina Yusuf's jersey or something like that. And, and then I just sort of forgot about it. And then it happened again at the beginning of the tournament. If I'm not mistaken, she had another play where she made another player fall down. And again, I thought it was hilarious. And I remember the first one. I said, oh, okay, let me, let me jump on this, on this bandwagon with this team. I didn't know anything about them at the time. I didn't know if they were good or bad or what. I just knew they had this player who was capable of doing this thing, which I thought was great. And then you start watching, and I, I, I found out, oh, she's like a backup point guard, and they have an even better point guard, and might they? And then I found out about Sabrina and Ruthie and Satu. And, like, you just start learning about everybody. Adi, who became like one of my, one of my favorites. Yeah. So that's how it all started. My radar was already up because um, <laughs> there's a, a writer named Natalie Weiner or excuse me, Natalie Weiner, and she, uh, she sort of like called me out on Twitter about, you know, why, why are you not writing about women's basketball? It was like a, a thing. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I sat with it for a day or so, and then I messaged her the next day, and I was like, hey, I saw the thing, and, you know, I appreciate the note, and, like, I'm going to try to learn about this stuff. And that's how it all started, really, and then the Oregon thing with Ina happened, and it was like, all right, I guess. I got a team and I just followed them in a tournament and it was a great deal of fun. And I said, all right, this will, this will be the team that I'm going to follow from now on in college. I never watched college basketball, not the men's or, or women's. And this was like my first time. So you're, you're, I, I do know that you're obviously a big NBA guy, but you've never really watched much college basketball up until this point, men's or women's? No, never. It's like, I'm going to watch the NBA. We had that. You know, I'm from San Antonio. We had the Spurs. That was just my team growing up. That's like what you, what you watch. I didn't even know college was, had like basketball in it until I got <laughs> to college. You know what I'm saying? It's like not a thing that that's not a thing you talk about in in like the south side of San Antonio or whatever. Um, so yeah, this was the the first time, and or last year I guess was, and it's been great, man. It's a it's a lot of fun. It's funny that you mentioned the Spurs because that was one that I'm not a big NBA guy anymore, but that used to be, you know, my team when Tim Duncan was there. He's always, he's always been one of my favorite, And I love the Admiral, too, but I'm a huge Tim Duncan fan. Just, you know, him being a swimmer coming from the Virgin Islands is, is a great story. I loved following him. But uh, 
And then, you know, it's funny you mentioned Sabrina. She's got that killer AI crossover. I mean, she just she just does. It's it's crazy like that. So yeah. have you gotten the fam? Has the fam? Yeah, I know you got the three boys and the wife. Have they gotten on board with being a being a Ducks fan, a women's basketball Ducks fan? Or is it just a, are you the lone wolf in the house? I, I think I'm probably the lone wolf <laughs> in the house. But that's because none of them watch any sports. They don't watch football, basketball, baseball. None of it. Sometimes the baby will sit down and watch it with me for for a while. But, like, the twins like to play basketball, but they don't want to watch basketball. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I got you. But it's, it's one of those situations where, where everybody, like, knows already what's going on. Or I'll be like, okay, the game, you know, <laughs> the, the Elite Eight game starts at, at 6 o'clock or whatever it was. We need to be home by then. Like, that kind of situation. Everybody goes, like, all right, cool, we got it. Are you uh, are you screaming and cussing in the house like you are on Twitter, or th- do they know? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty like uh, pretty fired up during the <laughs> during the game. Sometimes for you know for better or for worse. Gotcha. Hey, you mentioned Sabrina and her moves. Who do you compare her to? Does she have maybe an NBA comp that stands out to you? <sighs> I mean, you're talking about the best basketball player in the country on that side. So I don't know. Pick whoever you want. Pick the, pick whoever you think is the top player in the, in the NBA. Um, she's special though. She's like, I don't know. She's a special player who can do special things. I mentioned this when I, I wrote about after they lost in the elite eight game, I mean, excuse me, in the final four, uh, I wrote a thing about how there was a point when the, when the ducks were, they were down four and there was a few seconds left and like, I was just in my head saying, okay, this is, Sabrina's going to hit a four-point play here, and then we're going to go to overtime. And, right. And, like, you, you start to expect her to do these unbelievable things. Like, when, when can you name a time when somebody hit a four-point play to send a game into overtime in the final? Like, but you just, I don't know. For me, I was expecting her to do these things. So if you're asking me for comparisons, like, I don't know. I mean, th- I think we're looking at something that we've, we've never seen before. Yeah. No, it's kind of hard. I think that reminds me end of the third quarter in that game, Shay. She has the ball at half court, chucks a buzzer beater, and I swear that shot was going to go in. Like it hit she's the front won- of the rim. Yeah. It yeah. was like, oh, this is going in. Yeah, exactly. You expect her to do those. Th- like that's the, that's the top, top level of, of basketball. Like you know the ball is going to this player, and you're expecting for this player to do something incredible. It's the same way I felt about Tim Duncan when the game, when, when he played. There was a series where they played against the Suns in the first round when Shaq was on the Suns, and they had this crazy, like a double overtime game, if I'm not mistaken. There was a play where the Spurs were down three. They ran this, like, pick action with Mono and Tim, and Mono broke to the basket, and Tim floated out to the three-point line, and Mono threw the ball back to Tim, and everyone was like, well, fucking Tim Duncan's about to make a three-pointer right now. And then he made the three-pointer. Like, that's the uppermost level and that's where that's where sabrina exists at this point yeah it's uh it's funny that they had kobe bryant breaking down her game because you know kobe's often linked with having that mamba mentality that's kind of his thing and that's the kind of player you're talking about some players just have that killer fucking instinct in them that they just they want the ball they know they're going to make it the pressure doesn't even phase them at all most of us normal human beings are like, don't give me the ball. Don't give me the ball. But players like Sabrina, Tim Duncan, you know, LeBron, Michael, those guys, you know, they want the ball because they just have that Mamba mentality, if you will. It brings me to one of, one of my favorite tweets of yours. 
uh, from you know a few days ago or, or during the tournament. Trying to hold down Sabrina is like trying to catch a tornado in a cardboard box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you even were you even conscious when you typed that out? Were you like, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I'm just going with it. I was. I was just. Yeah. She had gone on a little run. I was really excited. And so, and sometimes you just start typing shit into your phone, and that that's what <laughs> came out. I still don't know exactly what that means, but like I kind of understand it. It's it's great. Those those are the best. Those are the best. No, that's great. Um, so let's let's kind of just we're gonna wrap up here. But you got a shout out from Sabrina in what was, you know, literally one of the best letters I've read in a long time. You know, she she, as far as a, a journalist goes, for me, she outclasses me in every way. Apparently, not on the court, but off the court as well. Uh, what's kind of your thoughts with her coming back? You know, Oregon's outlook for next year. I was really really excited about it of course i mean this is a, this is a crazy part this is the position that i was in after the game was over i i was texting with uh with a buddy of mine who's like a she she represents a few WNBA players and i was asking her questions you know what's going on here and she sent me a screenshot of like of like the the uh i don't remember what it's called like the players agreement or whatever it's like the rules laying out how long you have to declare for the draft. And she circled apart and she's like, Sabrina only has 24 hours or something, something crazy like that to gotcha. decide if she's going to declare for the draft. So those the next you know, few hours were going to be crazy. But my favorite WNBA team, the one I started watching is the Las Vegas Aces. They were formerly in San Antonio and then they moved out there and they, have this, they drafted this great uh, young player named Asia Wilson. I was like, oh, this will be my WNBA team. So they got the number one pick again, improbably. <laughs> And so now I'm looking at, okay, this sucks that I thought Oregon was going to win the title after they won that elite eight game in my head. I was like, they fucking did it. They're, they're going to win this game. I still think that they should have, if they would have beat Baylor, I, I think that, I think, I don't know if they're going to blow out Notre Dame. Right. It'll be like a close game, but I, it's not going to come down to the wire. They win by eight points or something like that. But anyway, I was like, okay, if she declares for the draft, the, the, I don't know if the Aces are going to take her. I really hope that they do, but they already have a great point guard in Kelsey, and, and Sabrina's obviously not going to be a backup. And, like, do you move her to the – like, I was running through all these things in my head, um, but kind of sad that, like, this, this era of Oregon women's basketball was going to be over for me. And then when the letter came out, I was like, oh, that, like, I felt really, really – I was very upset after they lost that Final Four game. And it fucking was terrible, and it sucked, and I hated everything. I was just in a bad mood. One of those moods where you like you don't even want to eat your food because it doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> and and then the the letter came out, and then I like my phone went nuts. It started buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. I looked to see what was going on, and a bunch of people had tagged me in her in her uh, tweet that she had posted a letter in, and I was like trying to read it as fast as I could because it says unfinished business. That was the title of the letter. And I was like, I don't know what this means. Does it? What does this mean that she's leaving, and or you know, Oregon is going to win the title without her? Is she staying? I was trying to like scan through it and see a part in bold that said I'm staying or I'm leaving. So it was a very stressful like two minutes, and then I, I finally read through and saw it, and I was like, I don't know. I just felt really good. Like you get you get one more year of the of the team together. I think Satu is going to be be the player after Sabrina leaves. Like she's going to sort of take over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like all, it, all the pieces fit together. You lose Adi, you lose Maite, uh, and that's going to suck a lot. Maite is incredible. Yes. Adi is incredible. But, like, you have 
you have Sabrina, you have Satu, you have Bowley. I think Taylor Chavez is going to be really, really good. And the and the parts that we got to see her play during this season, she's like, I'm mean, she's a fucking pit bull out there. Yeah. Um, you know, Morgan and Lydia, like you got all of these great players. Uh, Satu's sister is coming in as well. Like, it's going to be really cool to have them all there. Plus Sabrina is what I was thinking. And then I was fired fucking all the way up after that. And that's why yeah, I would put as much money as you want down that we're going to win the, that we're going to win the, the title. Win the natty. It's great, man. Yeah. It's really, it's really fun to watch. You know what I like the most about it? And this is going to, I don't know if this will sound like, like if this will sound weird or dumb. Um, but Growing up in San Antonio, watching the Spurs for so long, like the Spurs have been good for my entire adult life. They've been in the playoffs fucking 400 straight years. Right. They, they, they've been like title contenders forever. And they won five of them. I, I watched Tim Duncan lift that trophy so many times. We're at the point now where I don't get, like I don't feel terribly nervous anymore during the Spurs playoff game because I feel like whatever, we fucking, we have five. It doesn't matter. You can't say anything about us anymore. Like we did what we needed to do. I, I don't, I don't have that same feeling that I had like in the early two thousands when they were trying to get over the hump, when they were trying to beat the Lakers, right. when the Lakers were in the middle of winning their three, I was like the 2003 title, 2005 title. My stomach is fucking in my throat. <laughs> I'm terrified. Every game, every game they lose. I'm, I'm just in a bad mood until the next game. Uh, but then they won and they won and they won and they won and like that feeling sort of went away. And then I realized this year for this tournament, last year it was like all fun. It was all upside for me. I wasn't all the way invested because I had just started watching them. It's like if they do great, cool, because I didn't even know they were good. If they, if they win, this is a lot of fun to cheer for them. Um, but then they lost against Notre Dame. And then you have to wait a whole nother year before you get to try again. And, and then I was like watching the regular season now and like building up this connection to all of the players, to the coaches, like you start to recognize the other, the assistants. Like I know the assistants faces now when I see them <laughs> out there. And then when the tournament started and I was like, I felt that same feeling again. I was really scared every time they went out there to play. And every time it, they started to pull away, it just felt so good. It was such a relief. The elite eight game was probably like one of my favorite basketball games I've watched in the last couple of years, just because of how nervous I felt and how intimidating Mississippi state was. And I was in a fucking papado watching it because we had just moved into an apartment and we didn't have cable and I didn't want to watch it on my cell phone again. And I'm like fucking losing my mind in a papado. And it's just, it's just fun, man. It's a lot, a lot of fun being invested in a team that is like on the way up. It's really great. Y'all are, y'all are very, lucky and that's uh you know i i think what you put into words there really well is that's what sports do for us i mean it's our way to like unplug and not worry about paying taxes and and our jobs and and things yeah like you go live vicariously through something and it's it's the ups and downs and sure you you know you get in a shitty mood because they lose or whatever but like it's the ride it's the ride that really takes you there and kind of you know pulls you away from everyday life of you know paying bills and doing all that stuff and you're just couple hours you get to unplug or whatever and just i mean all your emotions yeah, you, don't, you don't think about anything anything else you just think about fucking tiara mcgowan like what are we gonna do with her <laughs> Jesus, yeah. and then you know you you watch ruthie just bang on her and bang on her and bang on her until mississippi state finally breaks and then it's just like that was crazy or you watch adi come in adi was so great in that final four game like she yeah she yeah. was 
she might have been my favorite player, not named Sabrina in that game, because she was not afraid of jack shit. She was coming in there to screw up somebody's day. And then Bowley hit some threes, and, and Satu, just, oh, man, it was so much fun. Those Bowley bombs were big. Yeah. No, I like the what you said. bombs, baby. <laughs> and I like what you said about Adi, Shay. I, I said earlier she had the best four-point, three-rebound game I've ever seen. Yeah, she was all over the place. She was just, you put Adi in there, and her whole job, it seems like, is just to cause some trouble. Just make it miserable for the other team. And she went in there, and that's exactly what she did. She had that one big offensive rebound in the putback, and I was like out of my mind at that point. That's when I thought we were going to. We were going to win the game. We should have. We should have won. We should have. They go like, they just got cold at the end. Yeah. The end of the Elite Eight game, there were lights out. Sabrina goes five for five on her last shots of the game. It's unbelievable, and they're up three in the in the final four in the fourth quarter. And you're like, we they might actually do this shit. Holy, holy, holy crap! And then and then just start clanking off the rim, and you're like, dang, we just ran out of gas. Is what it looked like. Hey, real quick, before we let you go, you've been to Oregon a couple times to promote your books. You've been to Portland, you've been to Eugene now, and got to visit the campus this year. What do you like about Oregon, and is there one thing that you don't like about Oregon? What I like about Oregon is that it's all very green. I really like, uh, that's a, like a big part of the reason I like living in Texas, because we have, we have trees. And like if you go to New York, for example, it's just fucking concrete everywhere. Yeah. I'm not built for New York. It moves too fast. There are too many people. San Antonio, we have trees and everything sort of spread out and it's nice and slow. Oregon to me felt that same way, like driving into through Eugene. It, it very much feels like a small college town, but you've got, you've got mountains and shit in the background. Like it's, it's wild to me. I really, that's, that's part that I really like. What I didn't like is the, is the, uh, the rain. Right. It's, just, it's, it's a little it's a little too it's a little too wet but you know it's it's worth it it's worth it to go to the game and meet all the all of the players why are y'all trying to get me off this phone so fast like i've been excited all day after y'all messaged me because i never get to talk about the ducks with anybody i've only been on like three podcasts where we got to talk about the ducks and y'all trying to get me out of oh, get me out of here already like, well, that's not cool man you could talk all day man i just yeah. want to make sure you don't have any other obligations we don't want to abuse our uh privilege here uh, oh, I got like ten, I got like ten minutes. Give me ten more minutes of of duck talk. Easy, sweet, easy. You just give us a sign. You say, "Hey guys, I'm fucking done. I gotta go." That's we'll put. We'll put <laughs> so how did I know you're a foodie? Which I uh, well, I, okay. So I should say I'm a foodie too. We're gonna get back to the ducks. Don't worry. But I'm a foodie too. How did the the two food scenes compare? Now I'm a I'm a beer guy too. So I I've been in San Antonio probably a half dozen times, and you and your beer is okay. It's coming along. Um, now we don't have barbecue like you guys do, obviously, of course, but yeah. how would you compare the two food scenes? Oh man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that anybody would, has ever in my life called me a foodie before. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's incorrect. Cause I only eat like four things. I eat, uh, tacos, I eat barbecue <laughs> and, and then like a different kind of taco and a different kind of barbecue. And that's basically all that I, <laughs> that I eat. San Antonio's food is way better than, than. Oregon food. Y'all don't yeah, like you don't know how to make beans or rice up there. No. If you have to fly in crawfish, yeah, to make to do a you know crawfish boil, like y'all are doing something wrong. Right. Sorry right. to say. I got you. So we have a d- totally different culinary, you know, choice than what, yeah. Yeah, we don't have the Tex Mex. We don't have all those things that that you do down there. Uh, are you are you a Shiner guy? 
I've never drank a beer in my life. We're supposed to be talking about the ducks, okay. not fucking beer. <laughs> okay. I'm going to move off of that, but we do want to hear about your book, and we're going to go back to the ducks. Oh, my God. my my! I'm working on a book. It's about movies. It's not about the ducks. Okay. And the, there you go. And there you go. Okay. So do you watch the men's basketball or just the women's? No, I've never watched the men's Oregon basketball game. What, there's a guy who's on Twitter and for some reason, he really, really does not like that I only tweet about the the women's team. And he's like, if you're going to tweet about the women's team, you need to watch all the games if you're going to be a real duck <laughs> or whatever. Like, he's really, he's really upset. Um, he's, I, I've gotten, like, a few of his tweets. I don't know. I try to see as many as I can during a game or whatever, but there's so much going on. But I've caught, like, I noticed it this, this postseason or this tournament. I got several of them, and I was like, I did not know that you had to root for all of all of the teams. As far as I know, Sabrina and Satu and Adi only play on one team, so I'll just watch that one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's. The, I'll be honest. So, you know, Matt and I obviously we talk about the Ducks every week. So, you know, having you on was kind of a nice change of pace because you're not somebody in this market, and you know, somebody kind of looking from the outside in, and uh, you know, so it was really nice to get your opinion on the ducks but we talk about all the sports but i'd have to say that this season matt and i probably really enjoyed talking about the women more uh at least during the whole season leading up to the season we said we said in in our opinion we felt that this oregon women's team was a championship team not only because of sabrina but because of all the pieces around her felt like this was the most complete team i mean is that something that you kind of thought as you watched the team grow this this year as well yeah, absolutely. And there were some games early in the season that they that they lost. There were a couple, like one or two games that they had lost that they should have won. You're like, no, this is they're not quite there yet. Is right. what it felt like. Right. You had all of the pieces. You've got Sabrina running the show. You've got Zamaite sort of facilitating everything. You all of a sudden you have Statue who became like this this like a very real threat to put it. She put up thirty points, I think, a couple of times this season already. Yeah. Um, Bowley is firing it from fucking 28 feet away. She had the one game where she had eight or nine threes. Um, Morgan was playing great. Adi, of course, is doing all the things that Adi does. Lydia's coming in and just fucking being tall and in the way. And like, you know, Ruthie was sort of just chopping off the legs of these bigger, stronger players. It was, it was like a really well-constructed team, but there were a couple of times when you're watching it, like we should not have lost that game. We fell apart for like a three minute stretch. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I remember I was listening to, I was listening to a, uh, an interview that coach Graves did after the elite eight game. And he said something along the lines of, of the, uh, of we got to the elite eight the first time and we didn't play any good halves. And then we got there the second time against Notre Dame and we played one good half. And then, and then this time we played two good halves. He said something like that. And that's, that was like, exactly what it looked like when you were watching them. If you watched the, the second half of that game, Mississippi State was doing everything they could to get Sabrina to blink or Satu to blink. Somebody blink. Somebody mess up. And they were so dialed in and focused. Like, I've, I've seen a team look like this before, and this is a team that wins a championship. Yeah. And they did, the, they did the exact same thing when they got to that Final Four game. Like, Baylor probably – should have blown them out. There was a point where they, where they had their foot on their necks. They could have like pulled away mm-hmm. and, and came back and they were right there. They were right there. And then they had like a four minute stretch where shit just sort of fell apart and they, and they couldn't, 
get it back after that. And even with with that, they didn't panic. They just started missing shots, and it was like, oh, I don't know if this is this is going to happen. This kind of sucks. It came all the way down to the very end, even with all of that that stuff. But yeah, it looked they looked like a team that could win a championship. They've got to be with this team coming back next year. I mean, I don't know what to do about my team, but we, they've got to be like they're in the final four conversation at least. Yeah. Which means you only need two more games and you're and you're a champion. Yeah. I mean I think they're a dominant team. We've been talking about that, this idea that they can win a championship and I know earlier you said, Hey, we bet whatever money on them, they're gonna win a championship. I was saying this with one of my coworkers the other day. It's not just that they're a dominant team, they're the only cool women's basketball team I've ever seen. They're- oh, I disagree with you there. Okay. I disagree. The Notre the Notre Dame team is a lot of fun, they and they've got you know what you what you need for somebody for a basketball team to be cool is you need for somebody on that team who will look across at their opponent and be like fuck you, <laughs> stop this, stop and me. then just start firing away. Yeah. And and Oregon and Oregon has Enrique. They've got Marina Mabry who is going to let you hear about it all game long. Uh, Jackie Young doesn't say much, but she's but she's like never going to back down. Like Oregon is a cool basketball team. The uh, I thought I thought Baylor was a cool basketball team. Didi, Didi is incredible. Kalani and Lauren down there fucking destroying buildings in the paint. They're tough. I think you've got like three or four cool basketball teams. The you know the Ducks would be my number one, of course. But I don't think it's fair to say there aren't any other cool ones. I would disagree with you on that. Okay. I I think uh, you know to the to the actual team. I I think the one thing that really makes me most excited about this next year of course sabrina's coming back that's the hottest topic but i think it's the growth of of satu sabali i think she she developed so much over this year that i think if she can continue that into next year you know instead of it being sabrina and ruthie now you're more of like a three-headed monster if you will and and then of course Mm -hmm. you've still got those great players role not role players that's not fair to say about bully and and the and the rest but you know you've kind of got this man because satu got hot a couple times and carried the team on her back through through stretches and i think that's probably the biggest reason i'm most excited for the team next year yeah they uh she was she was the one who turned them i think into the a, a legit championship contender ruthie and sabrina are were phenomenal but you drop that third player in there you need three you yeah. always have to have three yeah that's why that's why baylor won because Chloe Jackson showed up. Yes. If she doesn't show up, Baylor loses that game. They had three all of a sudden when she got there. Satu taking over. Satu getting in those modes where she decides that nobody can guard her. Like at the if you, if you watch the beginning of the if you rewatch the beginning of the uh, the Baylor game, I think if I'm not mistaken, I want to say they they had like Lauren on her at first, and she just blew by her two times in a row, and then they switched up real quick. But she had decided very early on, I'm bigger and I'm faster than most of these players, and I'm going to play this. Like, when she gets in those modes, there's not a lot you can do. If she starts hitting shots, and Sabrina's going, and Ruthie's going, like, there's nothing you can do. You're just going to lose, lose that game. If she plays like that the whole, the whole next year, and, she, and then next year is her junior season, right? By the time she's a senior, yeah. it's a fucking wrap. Yeah. She's going to be like a, a number one draft prospect prospect in her senior season it's gonna be a while yeah she could she could even end up being top 10 next year and that's coupled along with ruthie and sabrina in the mix that's that's fucking dangerous yeah exactly going into the next season 
three players who could finish, like three legitimate WNBA players on your team next year. And that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. You going to go to a game next year, Shay? I'm going to try to. It's, a, it's like a hassle to get there from, there are no direct flights from San Antonio oh, no. to Oregon. So it's like a, you know, stop in Atlanta or wherever, Colorado or something, then shoot up there. And then when I, when I went there for this last game, I got trapped in the airport because of fog. What the fuck is fog? <laughs> Why can we not fly in fog? They like, the, the flights all got canceled. They just were like, we're not going to fly. It's too foggy yeah. outside. And so I ended up having to like, I was in the airport for X amount of hours. And then I finally left and I found a hotel and then I had to be back there the next morning at five or six. And it was terrible getting out of there. So that sucks. Y'all should get a direct flight from Oregon to San Antonio. They didn't come all the time. Yeah, that uh, I you know I've made that flight a bunch of times the the reverse direction and it's it's an it's an all day deal it's it's your eight your eight hours in a in an airport terminal or on an airplane I mean you just and then you're freaking tired by the time you get there. Um, yeah, it was wild. Yeah, we we get a lot of fog up here. I think the last time I flew into San Antonio, y'all, y'all had ice down there though. They couldn't land the plane. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather have ice than fog. Like if you tell me you can't fly because of ice. I understand that because ice is slippery and that's a dangerous situation. If you tell me you can't fly because it's a little foggy outside, uh-huh. <laughs> nah, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. <laughs> well, Shay, we don't want to be greedy. We got to be getting close to, I think, your time allotment, if I had to guess. But, I mean, we can keep going if you're ready to roll. It's, it's, you know, we don't want to abuse our power. We'd like to get you back on again is what we want to do. So we just want to stay in your good graces. Yeah, let's do, let's do this again. This was this was fun. I don't want next time. We're not going to talk about beer or book okay. or anything. We're just going to talk about the duck. No cultural. Wait, sh- what podcast? Wait, what podcast is this? Here's how much I like the duck. This is how much I like the duck and talking about the duck. <laughs> I get asked like 10 times a day to be on whatever podcast. And I saw y'all's message. And just because you said, we're going to talk about the duck. I responded back as soon as I saw it and said, let's do it. Sweet. That's how much I like to talk about the duck. Where, is this an actual like ducks based podcast? What is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this is you know you you'll hopefully you'll appreciate this. So I've worked with it. I've done. I've I've covered the ducks as a journalist for the last 10, 12 years, and I've worked with networks. I've worked with ESPN. I've worked with twenty four seven sports. I've worked with all of them. I recently went out independent within the last two years, and I and I run my own site, and it's called scoopduck.com. And this is my website. Uh, and this is the podcast that we do each week, which does focus on the Ducks. We've had Mario Cristobal on before. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of a lot of the you know f- folks that Duck fans know. So we were really excited to have you on this week and help support us. This is you know we're kind of an independent, if you will, but we're uh, you know we cover the Ducks. We talk about the Ducks. You know, Matt and I talk about the women every week on the podcast and. Uh, when you hang up, we'll go back to talking about the Ducks basketball and a little bit of football, and, and that's uh, that's what this podcast will be. All right, cool. Well, hit me up when we're going to talk about the Ducks again, and we'll do it. All, All right. right. Thanks, Shay. All right, boys. Later. Okay, so the next time that we have Shay Serrano on, I have to come up with 100 questions, just women's basketball. Just just Ducks, women's basketball. It'll be known as the Shea Serrano Women's basketball hour. Yes. Like, it won't be an hour, but it'll be 30 minutes or so. <laughs> well, I wanted to give him a chance to talk about his book and stuff, because I appreciate him taking time to come on. And he was like, no, forget that. We're talking about the Ducks, man. That's it. And that's okay. Yeah. No, that's I'll, okay. Nope. I, honestly, hey, you can tell he's a fan. 
You can tell he's a fan because that's how the fans think. Fans are, hey, Matt, I don't want your your silly radio intros. And, hey, hey guys, we don't care about beer. We don't care about going to the dentist and all the stupid stuff we talk about on this pod. Right. We just want ducks. Just talk about the ducks and then shut up. Okay, we can do that. So, sure. No, no it's, fun. it's fun. You know, I was really... To be honest, I wanted to hear a little bit more about his background and stuff growing up, but we can conquer that another time. Yeah. You know, I'm good. You could you can Google that stuff. We'll save that for the Shea Serrano women's basketball hour. Yeah, yeah, you can Google that stuff. But no, <laughs> I, I appreciate that he was excited about it. Um, I'm, I don't know if he's done a, a podcast or an interview anywhere else. So that's probably, uh, I don't believe he has, but that's probably why he was most excited because like, oh, it's your first one. You get the chance to say all the things you want to say about the Ducks. And yeah. I guess we gave him that springboard. Ducks hoops, man. So, yeah. I mean, this is this is the world we live in, 2019. And he's right. They're not the only cool team, but they are the coolest team. Women's basketball now. You've got a team with Sabrina and Ruthie and Kelly Graves having those killer sound bites every time he's in front of a mic. This team is entertaining in, in they're likeable. ways. They're likable. Yeah, they're likable yeah. in ways that women's teams haven't been in the past. Yeah. You're seeing their personalities come out. Um, I think for in particular for this Oregon team, you really see the chemistry not only between the players, but the players and Coach Graves. I think that's, you know, because it's not oftentimes that you see almost like that father-daughter sort of relationship, which certainly looks like which Coach Coach Graves and Sabrina has. Looks legit. A lot yeah. of the time, yeah, very much. Kind of like when one of them says something stupid, they kind of look at the other like, what are you talking about? You know, you get that. I get that look from my teenagers all the time. Like, what are you talking about, Dad? You know, shut up. You know, <laughs> but no, it's it's it was great to have Shay on, and you know, obviously the women just uh, just finished the season. But what we'll do is we'll try to get him back on maybe when the the season starts gearing up again. Yeah. Um. You know, which will be a while, but we'll uh we'll get him on. We'll preview the season and uh, l- let him uh let him let him use his words and let it fly. Man, I can't come soon enough. I mean, I was reading on Twitter the other day. They've got preseason games with UConn. They might play Notre Dame. They're looking to add one more team. Yeah. They got some big dogs coming next year. Oh yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be, you know, there won't be any issues with strength of schedule when it comes to uh, to Oregon women's, and uh, it, that certainly doesn't seem to be as big of an issue in women's basketball as it does men's basketball. You know, strength of schedule and uh-huh. things like that. I mean, it's such a long season. You play so many games. Oh, they but, won't. Ha- no, they won't have a problem yeah. getting a tournament bid next no, year. No, <laughs> they they won't. And I, you know, again, talking to him. I, I was impressed with, you know, how many of the players he knew. It wasn't just like, I love Sabrina and I love the Ducks. Mm-hmm. And that was it. No, it was like legit. He he could go down the roster. Deep fandom. Yeah, deep, deep well. And, you know, you know he's probably not going to listen to this part, but I know, you know, us us Mexican-Americans like I am, like he is, you, you get you get passionate about stuff. That's why you see, like, soccer so big in Mexico. I mean, everybody gets behind it, and they are 100% invested. I mean, it's it's a, it's very, you know, it's it's just in your blood. It's a cultural thing that you can't really... And it's not to say that, that, you know, that everybody's not that way about something, but you mm-hmm. can definitely see that fire comes out at times. Yeah. No, and if I were to describe him as, as a fan, like, I read your writing... I read other writers, but sure. I really read Shea Serrano, fan of his work. I would use that to describe him. Yeah. Of he gets fired up about stuff, and that was that was beautiful. Right well, I want, yeah, I definitely was. You know, what wouldn't have been opposed to talking to him a little bit because he seems to be more more of a like a a pop culture you know star icon 
Um, you know, that seems to be his thing, you know, uh, really deep into it certainly looks like the 80, 90s, early 2000s rap, you know, all that kind of, you know, he's he's honed in on that. Writing about Fast and the Furious. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just, you know, pop culture sort of. And he's he does it so well. So anyways, that that's, uh, you know, that was great. I was glad we could cover the women um, the way we did. I'll be happy to bring on a guest that hopefully helps us cover the men next week, kind of putting a bow on that season as well. But uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, the. I don't know. It's kind of that interesting part of the year for Oregon fans when basketball's done. You only got about two more weeks of football, of spring football. And then, I mean, you still have the spring sports, but, you know, it, it does definitely leaves a little bit of a hole there as far as the entertainment goes. You'd think so. And that would make it really tough. But I've got a segue cooked up in my head here. I've been thinking about this for a few minutes. You mentioned strength of schedule. Yeah early season games, the impact that's going to have. And I think what other sport has that same issue? It's football. It's football. Yeah, because, you know, you it's because of the sample sizes. You know, football, you've got a 10-game sample size or whatever. Basketball, you've got, what, 30, 40, whatever. The, mm-hmm. the, whatever it ends up. I mean, your sample size is four times as big. Um, you know, baseball, softball, sample size, once again, four times as big. So, you know, yeah, it d- definitely doesn't seem to be an issue like it does in football. Now, I do consider it to be a little bit of an overused metric in football. So, for instance, in college football, you know, we see everybody says SEC football, SEC football, SEC football. And it's probably hard to argue overall that the SEC top to bottom isn't better than pretty much every other conference out there. I I, I can't argue against that. But it certainly seems like some of the middle to bottom teams get a bump because they're in the sec and in actuality aren't probably any better than the teams in the middle of the big 12 or the pac 12 or the acc so i think it can be used unfairly that's why you know we've seen two sec teams in the national football championship not that maybe alabama and georgia don't deserve to be there but at the same time how much did you overuse the strengths of schedule to get them both there along the way Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I was just thinking of you've got a sport where first game of the year Auburn, right? Like yeah. and the, the the complete mirror image of women's basketball. Right. Total difference. First game of the year, if you lose that Auburn game, yeah. Just like Washington did last year, you're going to be branded with a stamp that says no. Right. You're not going to the college football playoff. You're not going to represent the Pac-12 on the big stage. Right. It's just not going to happen. And here's my argument to that. If Alabama and Auburn opened up the season, the Iron Bowl started the beginning of the season instead of the end, Yeah, you wouldn't label one of them? No. 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 No, you wouldn't. No, like Alabama, LSU opens up. Nobody says, well, LSU's done. Forget about them. Yeah. They don't do that. They say, well, LSU put themselves in a hole, which is fair. You're going to have to win a, most of your games or win out to get back into that elite level status. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. But that should should apply to... You know, Oregon loses to Auburn and then they run the table. Well, you're going to have a tough time telling me that's not a top three, four, five team, depending on what everybody else is doing out there. But it seems as though a lot of other conferences get uh, almost, you know, get away with it. You know, SEC definitely does. Um, I, you know, we could continue to talk about the Pac-12 and the current state of the Pac-12, which is seems to be a, a very very hot topic always at the relevant always relevant yeah. very hot topic but i agree with that um yeah strength schedule is big i think it's dicey but what i do see 
here's what I, I think. Rob Mullen is, is on the committee. He knows what they go in and talk about in the playoff committee. He knows what's at stake. He knows what they value. He's gone out and scheduled some pretty big-time football games mm-hmm. the next two, three, four years for Oregon. So to, in my mind, without talking to him or having confirmed that, he's clearly heard something that said they're going to start looking at strength of schedule that much harder. Mm-hmm. Because if they weren't, you would just go ahead and continue playing Portland State and San Jose State or whatever you wanted to open up the season and getting yourself an easy win. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe that's a way of kind of bumping up their strength of schedule because they're not waiting the Pac-12 as a conference very strong overall. I don't know, but those are just my thoughts on why Oregon is going out and scheduling Auburns and Texas A&Ms and other very, very talented, very tough uh, teams to open up their seasons. Yeah. Yeah, no, and you mentioned Mullins being on the playoff committee. We know Mario and just how vigilant he is at his job. This is a guy that his day off, the day after National Signing Day, he's calling into radio shows and giving us time on the podcast and hyping up all these recruits. Like he works on his day off. Right. He works all year. This is a guy you you have to believe, you have to know that he sits down with his AD and picks his brain on what that committee's looking for. Yeah, no qu- no question. They've had dialogue. And, you know, Rob Mullins is, a, is an incredibly intelligent individual. And anyone who, who doesn't really believe that is probably not paying attention because you're in the golden age of, of Oregon athletics as a whole, in my opinion. You know, football's trending up. Basketball's clearly uh, on the right, you know, both men's and women's on the right path. You know, so- softball had some some turnover there, but it's it, it could be trending the right way. We, you know, we don't know yet. Um, you know, you you still got the track sports, you know, I know tumbling, golf, all these other sports are doing well as well, as well. So, uh, you know, I, I, he's, he certainly is, like I said, he's sitting in on those meetings and he knows what they're talking about and what those, the committee is waiting. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly sure that, uh, you know, Rob Mullins is out there trying to do, put Oregon in a, in the best position to be in a, in a playoff spot when it comes to football, the moneymaker. So We've nitpicked a little bit, got into some detail conversations on football. Now let's look at the spring practice in Hillsboro. Yeah. Because we weren't there. Right. Uh, you're, you're game planning for a lot of work in Eugene two weeks from now. I'm in the same boat. I've yeah. got family coming down this week. i got a party with them, and then I'm going to see what I can do for the spring game. So we weren't in Hillsboro, but we know a lot of you listening were in Hillsboro, and Man, the, the comments on Scoop Duck today and yesterday, people just rattling off all their insights after practice. If what we saw holds up, I think this defense can terrorize the Pac-12. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, to your point, yeah, I wasn't able, I, I wasn't able to go or able to justify going from from my you know, I'll be in Eugene the that's, next this that's week. It's a 5-hour drive. Well, I'll be in Eugene this weekend, I'll be in Eugene next weekend. Um you know, and then a couple of weeks after that, be down in Oakland for the opening. So I've got a lot of travel on the docket coming up here. Um, but you know, I was fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, one of the guys QB eleven, known as QB eleven. We've had him on the podcast before. You know, he's a, a X's and O's guys. He went, sat there through the whole thing. You know, loaded up a bunch of notes that would would have been far more detailed than what I could have done. I mean, he he, you know, he just has that you know, sort of brain for football. And so, I mean, there were some tremendous things that he posted on there about the defense. Like you said, it certainly looks like they are 
I hate to use this, but bigger, stronger, faster. They are certainly all of those things uh, from front to back, and that's mm-hmm. the key. You know, you get a couple guys that maybe look a little bigger, and you say, oh, our defense looks a little bigger. Well, it's not that. It's everyone at every position is noticeably bigger, and, you know, your, your, your big men, your linemen, they're not just bigger, they're less sloppy. Yeah. So, you know, clearly the program that, that Aaron Feld and, and his assistants have put into place, the nutritionists that, that work with the football team, those guys know what they're doing and they have this team dialed in. Now it's really just a matter of them being able to slow down and not have to spend time thinking. You know, less time trying to react and more time it being a natural instinct. That will take this defense the next way. You know, there was a lot of looks on defense. You know, it looks like they're definitely not going to hesitate blitzing and getting after the quarterback a little bit more. Something that Jim Levitt didn't do a ton of, you know, he did bring pressure at times. A lot of times he brought it off the edge, maybe as even even as a corner, kind of surprising the quarterback. I don't think that's going to be Andy Avalos's uh, cup of tea. I mean, he's going to bring pressure, you know, lost lots of twists and stunts up in the middle. Um, you know, uh, Jawan Johnson. I mean, I think we could just keep talking on and on about him. People every time somebody sees him, they're like, "Damn, he's big." Yeah. You know, and and he's not just that. He is. He is Oregon's most refined wide receiver right now, today. So so the two things, he's freaking huge. Right. Looks like a tight end yep. out there. And then, like you're saying, he's already established a rapport with Justin Herbert. Runs better routes than everybody else, has better hands than everybody else. And I've got uh, one of one of my regulars on my radio show is a big Penn State fan. I had him on last week, and then... As I was wrapping up the segment with him, I teased that I would talk about Jawan Johnson coming up next, because I wanted to talk about how he's in the news and all the bloggers are raving him right now. And the guy goes, Jawan Johnson, the Penn State receiver. I go, yeah, yeah, he transferred to Oregon. And he just gushes, just tells me how this guy's a huge Penn State, Penn State super fan. Yeah. And Jawan Johnson bailed them out. Big plays, big catches. Yeah. If he brings that mentality from like his sophomore year at Penn State, brings that to Eugene, the Ducks have replaced Dylan Mitchell at the least, yeah. and maybe at the end of the year, you're talking about a first round pick. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think he was, I think he was dead on right. The fact that the big play potential is there. I mean, Oregon doesn't have anybody that can do the things that. Jawan, I'm not even sure there's anybody in the Pac-12 that can do what Jawan John. I mean, he's a yeah. different type of breed, and we, I there's some great receivers out there, but he's, we expected Dylan Mitchell. Yeah, we might be getting in Keel Harry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? And and and, and to get there, you know, the one thing he's got to clean up is consistency. He's going to have to be more consistent. Uh, you know, he's going to have to develop the chemistry with Justin Herbert, which I think right now is his biggest hurdle, you know, right now, which which is fine. We're talking about this in April. So and everybody doesn't you go pushing the panic button and say, there's no chemistry. Well, th- they've only practiced three times together, two mm-hmm. times together, whatever it might be. So it'll get there. It's just going to take some time and some work, which they will definitely put in. So, but, uh, you know, you're looking at this and kind of looking where the trend's going to go. He's certainly going to be a force come August, September, uh, you know, assuming he's healthy and all, all those other things. I mean, it's just, and, you know, we're talking about that. He made a, a big impression in Hillsboro. Um, you know, not just because of his, just because of his eyeball test. A lot of people look at him and say, "Man, he's big." 
and then that's it. Like, okay, well, no, he actually knows how to run his routes. He actually knows how to do some of the simple things that a receiver needs to do. He is not somebody that's being converted to play receiver. He's not somebody that has only played the position for a year. He is somebody that's played the position for years and years now. He knows the nuances of, you know, of, of being, of breaking off your route at the right marker. You know, all these little things that go into a play. He's going to bring that. And why is that so important? Because that's been and continues to be Oregon's weakest link on offense right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And and you mentioned the, the room for growth in that position group. Um, I can't help it. I know it's April. I feel like every week we find something new to hype about Micah Pittman. Right. But he had a great – I mean, everybody that saw him at Hillsborough also noted him, and I think the simple thing there is he's going to – he's going to have – he is – yeah, there. Uh, you know, there's a place for him on that team just because of his build and his makeup, and the, you know he's what we've said in the past. He's a running back in a wide receiver's body. Yeah, and he's got the ability to play in the slot. So you're talking about a guy there that's probably going to have a smaller DB on him, or might have a little bit of a slower outside linebacker on him. That's a mismatch for him either way. So you know, if he's able to catch the ball now. You know, one of the things was that, that QB11 noted on Pittman, which, you know, I think was great and should temper your expectations. He's not likely to be a guy that can catch a screen in the flat and house it 80 yards. He doesn't quite have that top-end speed. But he is a guy that can catch that same, uh, you know, uh, screen in the flat and get you 8, 9, 10 yards, mm-hmm. and that's super valuable. I don't, I don't know, other than Dylan Mitchell, nobody had – that type of potential on Oregon last year consistently. Yeah. You know, to get even five, six, seven yards. And that in the passing game, you know, and, and even at tight end, that was missing at tight end. And now you've got Cam McCormick back this year, who by all accounts is looking in incredible shape. So you've added some major weapons to this team at the absolute most pivotal position that you've needed them. And right now I think the key is just keeping them healthy and getting them some chemistry with Justin Herbert. Yeah. Yeah, hey, you mentioned the guys going 80 down the sideline. DeAnthony Thomas doesn't grow on trees. Right. You're not going right. to find a guy like that every year or every decade. Right. But a guy like Pittman, who can get you that eight or nine on third down, that's valuable. Yeah. And you can find those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to, being able to move the chains, not just in the run game, is totally invaluable. Th- that is 100% what this team needs. And, uh, you know, I, I think the one thing we're talking about big 80-yard plays, you know, Oregon didn't have a lot of explosion plays last year, and I think that's the biggest thing. I wrote about this a couple of weeks back on Scoop Duck. You know, at, already through this point in uh, spring practice, at least as far as the at least as far as coaching staff is concerned, they've had three times as many explosion plays through spring as they did the same time last year. Wow. So they've figured out, you know, whether it's players, whether it's certain little nuances to the offenses, little tweaks and things like that, you know, they're figuring out ways to get bigger explosion plays. And again, that could be because of the return of Darian Felix. That could be because of the addition of, uh, you know, Jawan Johnson and Micah Pittman and Cam McCormick. There's a lot of elements that go into play there. It doesn't really matter what the one key is. The matter is that they're doing it. They're figuring out how to get those bigger explosion plays. And I don't. This will never be a Chip Kelly style offense. This will never be that kind of, you know, where they run two dead plays. Next thing you know, it's sixty-five yards to the house. <laughs> it, it's never going to really be that kind of offense. But as long as they're figuring out ways to move the ball and put points on the board, 
that's what you need them to be. Efficiency. Yep. It works. Hey, uh, real quick, one more thing on football, and then we'll wrap with the spring sports. Uh, spring game in two weeks. Yes. April 20th. That's a Saturday in Eugene. Why should I go? Why should fans go? Why should Well, and that's a great question to ask when we're in Medford, Oregon, because for us, you and me here, it's two and a half hours each direction. I mean, it's it's a it's a long day. Yeah, there's no question, but it's worth it because of a number of reasons. For starters, hopefully, it looks like it's going to be a dry day. Fingers crossed that, and it has been the last couple of years. Well, it never rains on Austin. Never rains at Austin. Same. Biggest thing, it's free. It's free. Take your whole freaking family. If you're a family of seven or five or whatever, load them up. Get a bag of cans. That's all they need. Get a bag of cans, stuff that you haven't eaten in the last two years. Pull it off the shelf. Put it in a bag. Walk in and enjoy the game for free. Like You, you can't beat that. Mm-hmm. It should be a nice day. You get to watch football. You know, it's exciting to see the newcomers. It's exciting to watch Justin Herbert see where he's at. Um, You know, a lot of times the players kind of linger around afterwards. And so you're usually able to kind of get down on the field or maybe, you know, see them leave the field and get a high five, get a picture because they're not running right back into the locker room after an exhausting game, like on game day. Yeah. You can usually garner some of their attention and, and have a few minutes with them, get some autographs. I mean, that stuff's just invaluable this might sound derogatory but it's not it's the closest thing to a preseason game yeah and so what that means is you might only see justin herbert for a half right but then because he's not playing third and fourth quarter he gets to put the helmet off he gets to interact with the fans yeah. he gets to sign autographs yeah. and 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 be a star out there yeah and like you're saying hey you might have a four-year-old kid or a six-year-old kid diehard duck fan this could be a dream for them yeah it is if you're if you got a ten year old kid who loves watching duck football or twelve year old I mean the, there is really no better time to take them up and and have them see you know the guys in pads and watch them play and then have an opportunity to meet them after get a picture with them I mean it's just it's I mean that's the stuff kids grow up for yeah. I mean it's it's awesome you know and we all know Justin Herbert's going to go in the NFL you know how cool is it to show people oh yeah I got a picture with Herbert you know when he was at Oregon now he's a you know number one NFL draft pick or whatever. I mean, that stuff's just, just fun and cool, and it doesn't happen every day. Uh, lastly, and I, well, one of the other big things, uh, Duck Baseball plays Stanford that weekend. The game is immediately following the spring game. Oh, I love when they do that. And Yeah, no. I love when they do that. And I think it, I think the, I think the baseball game might even, st- I can't remember the timing. You might miss a little bit of one for the other, but uh, Stanford's like a, what are they, top 10, top 15 in baseball right now. So it's a big, big, big baseball game, not just mm-hmm. not just a baseball game. It's a big baseball game. And it's usually their fullest game of the year because everybody, you know, funnels out from the spring game and goes and watches uh, the baseball game. Literally so, right next door. Uh, yeah, you walk right to it. Yeah, it's like you're walking across the street. Yeah. That's it. So uh, once again, that's free entertainment. You got to go to the spring game. The most important of all, Oregon's going to have 40 to 50 recruits on campus, maybe even more. Uh, you know, DJ Ugalali, the the five-star quarterback, he's going to be one of the visitors. And one of the biggest things uh, as a fan, if you follow recruiting, be in the stands, cheer for those guys, show them that you're there. They want to see fan support. I mean, you know, DJ Ugalali just went to Clemson last weekend. Yeah, I was saw just going to say, game, you know. I mean, Death Valley had, what, 60,000 people? Yeah. Game was on ESPN. Yep. You got to match that. You got to match that. You got to match that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, and I'm not sitting here telling you guys to get on Twitter and recruit these guys. I'm just telling you what's at stake and what these kids pay attention to, and that's something that they do look at. So mm-hmm. if it matters to you, get out there and support the Ducks. I mean, 
There, there's a hundred different reasons, but uh, those are just a few of the top ones at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, plus there's the uh, Scoop Duck Meetup, right? Yep, Scoop Duck Meetup Friday night. Uh, I think I said 7 o'clock, and then a Scoop Duck Meetup on Saturday as well. So, yeah, tailgate. We'll tailgate before the game. So starting at like 11-ish. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the other thing. You get the tailgate for free. You can park in the Yachts and parking lot, which is usually you have to make a donation to park in that parking lot. So you can park in there and for free and tailgate and have fun and throw the football around. I mean... Awesome family day. Yeah. It takes me back. I mean, you're going to get home late. Like if you go to Medford, like if you're from Medford, you drive down and you drive back. I'm staying overnight, obviously. Yeah. Uh, just because of work and stuff. But, um, it you know, it'll be a full day, but your kids will go home and be like, man, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure if I can go yet. For, for me, it's timing is one thing. The money is another. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't know. But I, I'm right there with you. It's yeah. going to be tough on the way back if you're in Portland or you're in Bend or LeGrand, but totally worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. It's it's one day. You can make it happen. But no, that's exciting. It's, you know, the, the Ducks practiced uh, today as we recorded this. Um, you know, they practice on Thursday and Saturday of this week, and then uh, they got a couple next week leading up to the spring game. So spring football is coming to a close. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up with the spring sports. Okay. DeLuca unloads on one to left. Back to the wall. Out of here. So neither team are the biggest story in the world right now. I don't think Shea Serrano is going to go to PK Park anytime soon and cover duck baseball, but we got to spend a minute on the spring sports. They got to get some acknowledgement. But, yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like at the point we were in with uh, men's basketball this year, like the midway point, kind of like, okay, you know, we're still covering them, and you know, but that excitement wasn't there. Yeah. And then, of course, towards the end, when they started surging, the excitement came back, and we, we, we could spend 10, 15, 20 minutes talking about them. So, you know, I get it. You, you know, I wish we could spend a little bit more time on men's baseball and softball, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast, I guess. Yeah. Everybody, I like- everybody loves you when you're winning. You know, that's right. <laughs> I like that analogy, though. Of, hey, compare them to the men's basketball team, because there's one team out of those two that can grow and surge yes. and, and captivate people at the end. And there's one team that we pretty much know. Yeah, they're not going to do it. Yeah. And that, that softball team. I love them. I've got friends down here that swear by Coach Lombardi. Yep. But they're a one win team in the Pac-12 right now. <laughs> yeah. And there's only I mean. I, I don't I mean it's unfortunate that you go from a roster that's probably one of the strongest and deepest uh, in the Pac-12 to a roster that is probably obviously not the strongest or deepest in the Pac-12 in a year. But Maybe that, the least deep. Yeah, yeah. definitely the least deep. Um, don't want to take away from the talent level of those girls, but at least we know from a depth perspective they they are incredibly shallow on that front. So I mean. You know, you can only do so much with a team that just doesn't have the firepower. You know, I again, I'm like you. I continue to hear all the right things about Coach Lombardi. Um, obviously, not the debut she'd like to have, but if here's the great news: she's got a lot of open spots to sell to yeah. top recruits out there, and she knows how to recruit. She's bringing in talent. Mm-hmm. It's they're just not here yet. <laughs> yeah, and, and and depth is really the key theme. Early in the year, that team looked totally different than it does now. Yes, yeah. So 
just on that alone, coming out, fired up, kicking ass the first two or three weeks, I think she bought herself some patience with the fan base. I think so. And, and will be able to implement her vision. Yeah, you just got a lot of tired girls playing a lot of ball right now. Mm-hmm. And and that's understandable. I mean, there's only only so much you can demand of them. And the, and the Pac-12 is a really good conference when it comes to softball. Loaded. Yeah. Loaded. I mean, that, does, that doesn't make it any easier. So, but again, at least you got a lot of open spots. So, I mean, if if I was a coach, I, I'll say this: if I was a coach, I'd rather have no depth and have room to sell than having a roster full of girls that you know you can't win with. Mm-hmm. And by no way am I linking that to this Oregon team. That's not what I'm saying. Just as a coach, as a yeah. whole, I would rather say, "Hey, look, we are really shallow, but guess what? I've got six scholarships I can go and offer and get you talented players to play with next year." Yeah. As opposed to having six girls on the roster that you have to carry for three or four years that you're like, oh, crap, I can't even recruit anybody to replace them. Yeah. I mean, to, to make another cross-sport analogy, the the theory behind Willie Taggart's first year, it's been thrown out there a couple times, and I don't know if I buy it, but there was this idea that he wanted to phase guys out. He wanted to grind them and run them down and get guys to quit so that scholarships would free up, and then he would have a little more ammo in recruiting. Right. And that's not an uncommon position. Coaches, I think, more often than not, if you have a situation where the cupboard is bare, they love that. Yeah. They can go out and recruit for that. Yes. Yeah, being, you know, and that's one of the things that I guess to liken that even to what Mario Cristobal is doing. Sure, there was a couple guys he could have signed in the 2019 class this past year, but chose not to. Because, again, you go and you get, you know, even though you can have an 85-player scholarship limit on football, even five bodies that don't do you any good are, you know, quote-unquote the dead weight of the team. They hurt your team. You know, it makes it really hard. And, you know, if you get two or three one year, you get two or three the next year. Next thing you know, you get, you know, four, five, six guys on there that aren't going to help your football team. Mm -hmm. You still got to carry and honor those scholarships. So it's important to be you know, selective and bring in people that you know can help you win because if you don't, it sets your program back a few years. And I think that's what really set Oregon back a while back is there was a point there where they were needing bodies and signing guys that they probably really didn't need to sign um, at least to be competitive. But here we go. We've veered back into football. What, it happens. It happens. I mean, Whatever. We, we've talked about this before. As as fun as that 30 minutes was with Shea Serrano, yeah. where you make your money, where you feed your family is duck football. Yep, football's king. I mean, we could have Mario Cristobal on every week and just watch our viewership go up. Oh, I'd love that. Now, of course, he doesn't can have we, the time. Can we get Mario yeah, on every yeah. week? Every week, every week, Mario. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to get him back on again, maybe after spring ball, and just kind of get a recap of, of how that went. But, uh, but for now, we'll let him finish his coaching obligations. You're saying he won't give me 30 minutes a week? Yeah, probably not. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, it's worth a shot. Worth a shot. Uh, baseball, a little different than softball. I, I see a chance for this team, still above 500 in league, still above 500 overall. They're not world beaters, haven't played the, the powers in the Pac-12 yet. You still got to play Stanford, got to play UCLA. I think tonight with Oregon State, that's an opportunity. You win that game, and it's a Tuesday game. People might write it off. It's a one-off game. Right. But that's a resume game. You beat Oregon State, and that's on the resume for a bid. And it's a confidence booster to your team. I think that's the biggest thing right now to what you're speaking to. This is 
a, a relatively young team trying to identify kind of where they're at. You know, where are 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 we? You know, are we there yet? Are we here? And like you said, you could catch uh, a one-off Oregon State maybe off target a little bit. Like you said, Tuesday game, they might be thinking about tacos. Who knows what's going on? And uh, you know, that's that's something as a coach that. If you can sneak one, it you know that, co- that type of confidence boosting stuff is huge. I you know I think uh, I can liken that to the women's basketball when when they blew out Stanford by forty points or something. I think that team surged after that, and I'm not saying this team has that caliber of potential, but again, for a team that's floating right there in the middle, that could be just enough of a push to get them over the hump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when everybody's healthy, they have the pieces. Jacob Goldfarb as a hitter. Uh, the pitching, obviously, with Kenyon Yovan and the guys he's got in the pen. When everybody's healthy, this team can sneak a bid. They just need to put it together and get that confidence boosted. Yeah, that, and that's a big thing. I mean, you see it. I mean, if Oregon football goes out and beats Auburn the first game of the year next year, huge confidence boost for the rest of the season. So those types of things are, are important. I know we're talking about baseball. We need to stick to that. But, yeah, this is an opportunity for that team to really maybe get a confidence boost and who knows from the rest of the way. Hey, you know what? Let's let's put it this way, because we're always going to lead with duck football, feature duck football. Yeah. We can't help it. Yeah. If that baseball team keeps winning, we'll talk about them. Yeah, well, that's the key. Yeah, everybody loves you when you're winning. When you're winning, I guarantee people will post more on Scoop Duck about the baseball team if they're you know kind of uh, winning week in and week out. Mm-hmm. And so they they certainly have that kind of capability. Um, we'll just see if they get there. We always have that chance at the end. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about recruiting. Is there anything recruiting-wise you want to share with us? Uh, you know, if anybody's still listening at this point, um, you know, recruiting is probably something that you and I will start getting into here in the next two weeks with the replacement of, you know, no basketball to talk about. Uh, spring football will be over. But what I can say is, is uh, you know, obviously Oregon hosted a few guys this past weekend. Um, we've got updates on all of them. The big headliner was Noah Sewell, Panay Sewell's little brother. You know, he's a top 50, top 100 linebacker in the country, elite player. Loved his trip. Everything went well there. We've got an update on Scoop Duck if you haven't read it. Um, they hosted uh, Matt Sykes out of Hawaii. He's from the same high school, Marcus Mariota. Um, you know, 6'2", 210, loved his visit. I know he's got uh, Stanford offer, Cal offer, so academics are not a problem for that young man. Mm-hmm. Um, loved his visit, so that was great. Um, but the big thing is the next two weekends, this this coming weekend, which is not spring game weekend, you know, Oregon's expected to have around 20 visitors on campus. It's going to be a real nice, strong list of, of recruits visiting Oregon this weekend. And then, as I mentioned for the spring game a number of times, you know, you've got 40 to 50 kids visiting. You've got DJ Ugalali. You've got some real talent coming. And, you know, I've mentioned this on Scoop Duck, you know, Oregon got its first commit of that historic class last year, April 3rd last year. And so here we are. They didn't get their next commit uh, until after the spring game. So here you and I are on April 9th. Oregon already has three commits to the one that they had last year, Mm -hmm. and they're bringing in an equally, if not better, list on the spring game. So if you're looking for recruiting, like, man, it's been quiet, it's been quiet. Yeah, historically, March is really quiet. You know, historically, uh, February after signing day, super quiet. April you start seeing the tick up, you know, it doesn't make a sharp upturn. If you're looking at a graph, it just, you start seeing that tick up and up and up and up. So, you know, come mid April, 
uh, through May, through June. That's when recruiting really gets going. Uh, and that's the nature of the beast these days. It used to be you could kind of you could kind of follow along in those months, but not a lot would happen. You might get a commit or two, and then all the work would get done like in September to January. That is not the case anymore. That's not how recruiting works. You'll see an uptick here uh, in the next couple weeks, next few weeks. Might only be one or two, might be three or four, be a couple more guys to join the class. That usually kind of starts that snowball. I always liken to it to a snowball going down the hill. It's, you know, it's slow, it gets bigger, it's bigger, it's bigger by the time it reaches the bottom. Recruiting so much like that. So I remember last year, I think by June, I want to say sometime in June, I'm just going off memory. Uh, sometime in June, early July, Oregon had two-thirds of its class already committed. Oh, wow. So that's really the money months right there as yeah. far as recruiting goes. So that's that's what you and I will talk about more frequently on the podcast, uh, more than likely moving forward, uh, which will replace basketball, which is, uh, which is done. I'm looking forward to this because next week we'll also we'll dive into this over the course of the f- a few months. I am still a recruiting newbie. Yeah. And I, I get picked on every now and then, and I get it. I deserve it. It's <laughs> it's not my area of expertise like sure. it is yours. But I'm excited to read some of these names that I'm familiar with, yeah. of the in-state guys that I've seen play, right. and, and guys that are good enough to get on the Ducks' radar. So yeah. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to have fun this summer. Trey, Trey Foster's on his uh, unofficial visit to Oregon today, right now. Yeah. Right now as we're recording. he's uh, He went up there and watched practice, which is done, and... Getting a, getting a little tour blows me away. Yeah. Hey, we we got to go, but um, I can't. I just I can't fathom. I can't believe this in the world of seven on seven, and and the recruiting systems and and all these camps and tours. Everybody's got to go to. You got to pay five grand here, ten right. grand there. This kid goes to a three A school. Yeah. Population maybe two hundred any given year. Yeah. Five hundred any given year. Yeah. They are an afterthought in their town because they're not the big dogs. Right. And he's got a visit at Oregon. Yeah. And he'll go to Oregon State uh, probably for their spring game in a couple weeks. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of people, okay, I don't downplay the importance of playing at a bigger school, you know, 6A school, whatever. Yeah, it does help your chances of getting noticed. I don't downplay that. But in today's day and age of, of huddle and Twitter and social media. If you got ball, they'll find you. If you got ball, yeah, they'll find you. I mean, there are ways to be found now that even just, we can just say even five years ago weren't there. And, uh, you know, a lot of, if you go and you look at a lot of these, um, like if you go look at Utah State or if you go look at Portland State and you go look at their official roster, their official uh, website, a lot of them have a recruiting link right on there for you to pull down and you know get an email, send in your huddle, whatever. Wow. Yeah. And so if you're proactive and you go out and you say, "Hey, look, you know, I'm not a USC guy. I know that, but I could be a San Jose State guy." Mm-hmm. You can find them on Twitter usually, co- the coaches or the recruiting coordinator or whatever. You can usually find a link on their official website just to send in your stuff. And, you know, so it's a different animal. Um, you know, Trey Foster, he's about 6'5". I mean, he's a big kid. Yeah. He's got a place somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he's, an, he's a two-sport athlete. He's a he's a basketball king in town. Hell of a basketball player. Yeah. Probably, not, you know, obviously basketball down here in Southern Oregon is not quite what it is up in Portland. So I think he's playing it smart and saying, hey, look, I am a good basketball player where I'm at, but I, I have a chance at football yeah. at the next level. 6'5", and athletic, you can always use that on the football field. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, yeah. So... We'll wrap it up. Uh, again, if you missed it, Shea Serrano from The Ringer. 
he didn't even give us a chance to plug. No. But, but but let's do that now. Yeah. Just whatever he puts out, every every single book he does turns into a New York Times bestseller. It does. So if you find a Shea Serrano book on the shelves, snag it. Yeah. Give it a snag. Give it a read. Go get it out of the library. I don't know. Whatever. You can give it a sh- and then follow him on Twitter. He's a lot of fun at, at Shea Serrano. S H E A. S-E-R-R-A-N-O. He's a lot of fun to, to follow on there. And again, if you're listening to him on the podcast, yeah, he uses some choice words, but <laughs> it's kind of fun at the same time. So. And he loves the ducks. He loves the ducks. The women ducks. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I can do this night like all day long.